Good morning, good morning. All right. Let's pray before we open the word of the Lord. Lord God, we thank you for this, the day of the Lord, the day to come in response to your call, in response to your grace, in response to your um, overwhelming um, condescension, Father, to pursue us. We thank you, Lord, that you did not remain in heaven, that you did not abandon us to ourselves, but that you came in your Son to redeem us, to transform us. We pray, Lord God, that as we ascend the mountain here now, that you would, in fact, um, be merciless in your mercy. We pray, Lord God, that you would devour our idols, that you would slay them before our very eyes, that you would burn our kingdoms to the ground, that you would be a devouring fire that leaves, Father God, only what is holy, only what is good, only what pleases you. We thank you and we praise you, and we pray, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we pick up where we left off from last week in chapter 9, verse 1. Now, this verse was part of last week's sermon, but I'm going to bring it back here now because it's a perfect bridge between what's come before and where we are now. Verse 1 says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, most people immediately think, oh, okay, well, they're going to see the kingdom come in power, and then we have the transfiguration, and so that, that is like an introductory statement to what, what is about to transpire. But that's not quite what's going on, because the kingdom hasn't yet come in power. In power is, is a little phrase that throws people a little bit. Now, the kingdom is revealed, but that's not the same thing as coming in power. The, the context of this verse and the context of everything that follows, we have to remember, is the blind man. The blind man who was healed not all at once, but in stages. Right? He, remember? Christ opened his eyes and he looked and he said, what do you see? And he says, well, I see uh, men, but they look like trees. So, oh, okay. So he touches him again. He says, okay, now what do you see? And he says, oh, I see men now. This is exactly what the disciples are going through. He says, who am I? They say a Messiah. So he, he says, okay, um, you see me as the Messiah. And then he starts to talk to them about the Messiah. And then they, immediately they're all offended. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the Messiah we were talking about. We were thinking prophets. We were thinking David. We were thinking conquering kings. So that is the context of this. The, the kingdom is going to come in power. But it, doesn't, they, it isn't all revealed all at once. They go up on this mountain and they do, in fact, see the glory of the Lord. <laughs> And then they come down from the mountain. And then after the crucifixion, he's, re he's resurrected and they see it even more. And they say, oh, okay, okay. Right? Is this when the kingdom, have come, the kingdom is coming? Remember the beginning of Acts? Oh, th this, this must be it. Now here you are, you're, you're undying. An undying king is going to now lead the armies, right? That's pretty awesome. He'll just ride right out in front and watch out, Romans. We've got an undying king who's going to mow you all down. But then Jesus says something there. He no. You guys wait here, I'll be back. And he leaves. Right? And he goes up into heaven. He ascends. The disciples are like, okay, okay, all right. And then what happens? Well, and then the kingdom comes in power. And it's the Holy Spirit. And it's, a, it's flames. That's the fire. That's the fire. He said, I will, this man is going to baptize you, John the Baptist said, in, in the spirit and with fire. 
And that's the coming of power. That's the thing that this verse is talking about. But just like the blind man, they're not ready. Could you imagine if they received the Holy Spirit now? How, how much they're struggling, how difficult it is for them to understand Jesus at all. Because what is he saying? Oh, you're the Messiah. Okay, you're the son of man from Daniel 7. We get it. You're going to go before the Ancient of Days. You're going to be this great conquering king, right? Uh, yeah, but there's still this other part. There's the suffering servant part. There's the I'm going to go and lose big now part. Are you guys ready to win? Well, let's do it. Let's go and lose. And, <laughs> and the disciples rightfully are like, what? Huh? What do you say? Shut up. Stop talking that way. And then Jesus rebukes them, and they're having this back and forth. And now after he's given them very difficult things to hear, remember? Oh, oh, wait, guys, it's even better. I'm not just going to go lose. You, if you want to have anything to do with me, have to come and lose with me. You have to come and die on a cross too. And Peter's just befuddled, right? He wants crowns, baby. Where's the crowns? What is this cross nonsense you're talking about? And so because God is gracious and, and kind, he's saying, yes, I'm telling you very, he just told them something extraordinarily difficult, something that they had a hard time hearing, something that we have a hard time hearing. And because he's God, he says, hey, let's go up on the mountain and for a moment, let me just show you just a little glimpse, a little teaser trailer, right? You guys like teaser trailers? I love teaser trailers. Sometimes the teaser trailer is actually better than the movie. Right? I, at this point, I don't actually want to see the new Star Wars movie. I just want to keep watching the teaser trailer because I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to be as good as the teaser trailer. But have you ever done that? You've been in a movie theater and you didn't even know this movie exists and all of a sudden there's this trailer and you're like, that is the greatest movie ever made. And you're like, I can't wait for this. And that is what this is like. Come up and let me just, just tease you a little bit because I've told you something hard and now because I've given you something hard, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little push. I'm going to give you a little nudge, a little hope. And that's how we have to think about the transfiguration. And if we stop and we think about it that way, we understand that this is exactly how God operates. Right? He doesn't just send us out in the world. What does he do once a week? Okay, let's, let's bring everything to a stop. Put push pause. Everybody come out of the wilderness. Gather in this oasis around this table. Set in the midst of your enemies. And let's just have a little glimpse of heaven. Right? We're not, right, we're, we're, we come here and here's all of our, we love everybody and everyone looks nice and everyone acts nice and we have coffee and there's all these glorious songs and there's prayers and there's the word of God and it's glorious. But how often are you driving home thinking, man, you know, I'm actually with Peter. We should have made tents and just stayed there. Like we should have just lived on Sunday morning. Because it'd be nice, right? Everybody gets along. The coffee doesn't run out. There's little candies for the kids. I mean, it's nice here on Sunday morning. And, and I understand Peter's reluctance to leave. Because I feel that way. I'm like, yeah, do we really have to leave church? Can't we just stay there? I mean, there's, there's chairs. We could just sleep on it like in an airport. And this is the struggle that is going on with the disciples. They, they are having a difficult time reconciling all this stuff about Jesus. It's very confusing. He keeps doing these crazy things like telling us we're going to lose. And then he goes on a mountain and he looks like a glorious king. And then now we're leaving again. Like, could we just, Jesus, come on. Can you just pick one or the other? What is it? Is it glory or is it cross? And the thing that we have a difficult time understanding is the point of the, of the transfiguration the weekly transfiguration. When you're sitting there, sometimes in the middle of the week it even happens to you. You're reading your Bible and you think, I feel close to God right now. God is in this room today. 
I mean, can't I just live here? Because what happens? Ten minutes later, you're screaming at the kids. <laughs> like, what happened? I don't understand. The point of the transfiguration, that, that is what we need to figure out what it's for. Because Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he gets what it's for. The disciples are standing around, and they're totally flummoxed. They don't understand what it's for. Just as the blind man saw men but thought they were trees, the disciples see a Messiah, but he looks like a prophet. And we're going to see that, I mean, clearly, they are thinking in types and shadows. And the real deal is there, and the real deal is talking to them, and the real deal is feeding them food, and the real deal is instructing them and leading them, and they're still focused on the types and the shadows. And isn't it that way for us? Isn't it that way for us? We, we focus, we get a morsel, and we think it's the feast. We see the teaser trailer and think we get the movie. Verse 2 says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, so as no one on earth could bleach them. Now, I, I don't know about you, but it's nice to have white tablecloths, because it's easy, right? When the kids, we have kids, they spill on there, you just take it and you just bleach it. It's pretty easy. Even I can bleach things. But imagine like the, like something so white, it, it dazzles the eyes to the extent that nothing on earth can make it this clean. That is an extraordinarily important phrase in this whole thing here. He is white, and nothing on earth can make it this clean. The event is oriented towards the disciples to strengthen them in their commitment and to prepare them for the sufferings which they must share. He's told them what difficulty is coming, and now Jesus is letting them in on the secret, the messianic secret. This is not just a prophet. This is not just a king. This is God himself. And, and if they understood who they were traveling with, it would be a lot easier to travel. As you go into your week and you, and you follow the Lord, you, it's so easy to forget who we're following. Because heaven has come down to earth. And because we experience it here on earth, we think it's earthly. We think it's small. We think it's temporary. We do not understand that it's permanent. We do not understand that it's glorious. We do not understand that this is not just a prophet. This is not just a priest. This is not just a king. This person that we follow is whiter and cleaner and purer and more bright and more beautiful than anything in this world. And that is what he wants them to understand. Because then... Then, if you understand that this is the king of glory, and what he wants me to do to attain the glory is follow him on the way of the cross, you can endure the way of the cross. I said several weeks ago when we were talking about bearing a cross and Jesus in, in Gethsemane, and that is you go on your knees and you pray, God, if there is any way, take this from me, but your will be done and not mine. Right? That's how we deal with the cross. That's how Jesus dealt with the cross. But, but there's more to it than that. Even then, I didn't understand what, I, what I'd be reading just a few weeks later. Is that he doesn't wait until the very end when Jesus is sweating blood. God comes to his son now and says, listen, I get that it's hard. I get that it's difficult. And what you need now is, is a positive nudge in the right direction. And because he loves his disciples, he's inviting them to join him. And they just don't get it because the disciples never do. We never do, right? We're in a strip mall in Linwood 
behind a Wendy's. And I'm telling you, you guys only endure it on Sunday. But after a couple of days where you walk outside and it just smells like the county fair, constantly. Like at first when I came here, I was like, I could get used to this. No, I can't. Right? And so you're here and you're kind of like, huh, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. And, and we, we quickly forget where we are. Where are we right now? Who are we with? Who is talking to you? Right? Some fool who is from Renton? Nothing good ever came out of Renton. <laughs> Who's talking to you right now? What's the point? But it's very easy to understand the confusion of the disciples. I, I don't want to be one of those people that come up here and just make fun of them. Because we're going to go, let's look at now why they're so confused. Because the, the triune God is painting a picture here, and it's a, color, it's a mood board that everybody is used to. He's painting in types and shadows. He's using prophets. He's using the tabernacle. He's using the glory. He's, he's painting a picture here for them of who he really is, using colors that confuses them because they're used to them. The, the way that this story is told recalls Moses, it recalls Joshua, it recalls Exodus. This is what it says in Exodus 24, verses 15 through 17. Then Moses went up on the mountain, up on a mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Now that's like a description of exactly what's going on in the transfiguration. This is the only time Mark mentions a specific number of days. There's no other time, right? Every other time it's like, I don't know how long it's been. I've said, how many times? Well, it could have been a week, could have been a month, could have been two years, I don't really know. But he says six days because he's, he wants them to dial in on something here. You're going up a mountain. It's been six days since you've heard the difficult thing that Jesus had to say. And now I want you to see glory. I want you to see fire. I want you to hear a voice out of heaven. <coughs> Moses later on from this experience on the mountain is transfigured himself. His face gets so white, so glorious, so otherworldly that all the other Israelites are like, could you please cover that up? Could you please? Could you just put something on? Because I can't, I just can't take it. Now think about that for a moment. The glory of heaven is reflected in a human being, and other human beings who love God don't want to see it. Why? Because even the reflection of heaven on Moses' face is too much for us. It's too much for us. And so we cover it up. Right? We come here, and the, and the things of heaven that have come down to show us the glory of the Lord, we cover them up. We don't really think about what's going on. We try not to think too hard about what's really behind what our eyes see because it's too much for us. We haven't changed. The way that we talk about the service, the way we talk about the Christian life, we, 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 we can't take too much glory. However, there are some key differences here. We're going to do some more similarities in a moment, but let's think about this for a moment. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and is he reflecting the glory from heaven? Is it, did he go in before the glory of heaven, and is he shining like Moses was shining? No, because I've said this before. What is, Jesus has his, he hasn't, as a, it can sometimes be confusing, but it's not like he, he unpacked all of his pockets of his godliness. He's like, here, I'm about to go down there. Let me just... 
can't take this stuff with me. Right? I can't take omniscience with me because I'm going to go be a man now. So I'm just going to leave my God stuff right here, and I'm going to go down to heaven. That's not what happened. He's veiled. As I said before, imagine taking a beach ball and in a pool, and you're trying to shove it underwater, right? And you just feel this power. Like, you feel it pushing. You feel it again, right? The physics is working against you. And this is what it's like to be Jesus, right? Stuff happens all the time, and he's standing there, and he's like, well, I could just turn these rocks into bread, right? And, and that's the temptation that Satan's given him. Hey, man, just let go of the ball. Let that ball up. Let it loose, brother. And so there's this moment where God the Father had this plan. He says, hey, hey, <laughs> go up on this mountain. Just let, let the ball loose a little bit. Just let him see. Just a little bit. Don't let it all the way out. Just let it out a little bit. And that's what they're experiencing. They're not seeing Jesus reflecting glory that isn't his. They're seeing who he really is. This is who he is. Now, this is the guy we've been, we were just eating fish with him this morning. I heard him snoring last night. He made that really bad joke yesterday we all pretended to laugh at. Like, this guy is, glory, is, is like covered in this glorious whiteness, this glory that, that it says later they're terrified of what they see. And this is Jesus. This is a guy from Nazareth. This is a guy we've been following around, a guy we know. What is this that is going on? Now, part of what makes it somewhat more comfortable for them, a little easier for them, is that Jesus isn't just up on the mountain himself, by himself. In verse 4 it says, And there appeared with him Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And now this is what Peter really enjoys, is that there's something that distracts them a little bit from the glory of Jesus. Because the guy that we've been following around for a while now is so white it's hard to look at him. Oh, but there's these other two characters. And there's a ton here. I, how do they know it was Moses? I don't know, the length of his beard? I'm not sure. How do they know it was Elijah? Good question. It's not like they had portraits of them hanging up in the synagogue. Like, oh, I recognize him. So that, it's quite funny. I mean, how do they possibly know who it was? I have no idea who they knew who it was. I, Mark also doesn't talk at all about what they were talking about. But I, for Peter, he's a little relieved. Because I don't want to have to deal with this, that I, Jesus is glowing, and that's weird. Oh, there's two guys that I thought were dead for hundreds of years. Let's focus on that for a moment. Because this is easier to deal with and a little less weird than what's going on with a guy who I ate fish with this morning. And Mark is the only one also who puts Elijah before Moses. That's interesting, because why? From the very beginning in chapter 1, Elijah, the spirit of Elijah and the wilderness, is, is the thing that Mark has been focusing on. We don't know from Mark what they talked about, but this is what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 31. It indicates that it was Jesus' exodus that they were discussing. Hmm. His exodus. What is that? What does that mean? He's going to go and lead the slaves out of, right? Peter's standing there and he's like, okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. I'm, I'm down with this. Say some more, Elijah. Tell him some more. But if, if Jesus is going to lead a new exodus, who better to encourage him on the mountain than the prophet who led the old exodus? If he's going to ascend bodily into heaven and he needs to know that that's really going to happen, how glorious that really is, who better to instruct him than the prophet who bodily ascended into heaven? 
Because Elijah, we all remember, is the prophet who just climbed onto a fiery chariot that didn't burn him and cruised on off to heaven and didn't die. So the Exodus prophet and the undying prophet, just when Peter sort of maybe thought about figuring it out, here's this typology. And again, he doesn't, he's like, okay, uh, this is crazy. So what could possibly make this any weirder? Peter says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I know you're glowing really hot white now like the sun, but let's just leave that for a moment. How about we make some tents for our guests? And I I love that Mark doesn't pull the punch. Peter did not know what he was saying because Peter was terrified. Have you ever been terrified and not know what to say? Yeah, I mean, I've sat there with people who thought they were dying of cancer, and there's terror in the room, and you're like, Can I get you a Coke? You can have three donuts now. I guess it doesn't matter as much as I don't. Have you ever said something really stupid in the face of something terrifying? It's like a way of life for me. (laughs) But there's Peter. There's Jesus. Okay. Here's two resurrected guys. Uh, Okay. There's a a glory cloud and there's Moses. (laughs) I I don't know what to make of this. Let's build some tabernacles. That's actually the word that he uses. He just reaches back in his memory. He's catechized. He understands when these people, when this kind of thing is going on, this is from Exodus. So let's make tents. Forget the fact that he calls, right? At this point, Jesus is glowing white hot, and he says, teacher. Like, talk about underdoing it. How about my Lord and my God? How about Yahweh? How about who in the world is this person? No, no, hey, teach. He just addresses him like he's just, like it's the same as it was at breakfast time. Erecting shelters as Peter wished would have put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Right, think about it for a moment. If you're on this mountain and here your friend turns out to be something otherworldly, would you really put him on the level as the two dead prophets? They're not white hot. They're not glowing. Right Now, what's interesting is there is another time in the Old Testament in Samuel where uh, they actually bring Samuel back from the dead. <laughs> and the seer who's doing it for a moment is terrified. She falls down, she's terrified, and she says, it looks like a god is coming up. And then when the god appears fully, it's just Samuel. And she's like, oh, it's Samuel. So even for a moment, if there was something terrifying about Moses and Elijah, it would have passed quickly, and they would have recognized who they were. Jesus, who looks like a son like a star, they're just going to call him teacher. And this is what happens to us. We we are uncomfortable with both the humiliation of Jesus Christ and the exaltation of him. That's a little too low for me, and that's a little too high for me. So look at this glorious thing that I'm looking at, and I'm going to try to bring it down a few notches in formality and just call him teacher. Because we think Jesus is our homeboy. We think he's our girlfriend. We think he's just, you know, one of the guys. Okay, he's white hot like the sun. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. (laughs) He's my friend. Jesus, my friend. And that somehow makes us feel a little bit more comfortable with who he is. 
But we can all see that Peter doesn't know what he's doing. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, this is what they call a triad. That's a $50 word for the appearance of the triune God some point in the New Testament. What you have is the son, he's standing there, and you have a cloud, that's the Holy Spirit, and you have a voice from heaven, that's the Father. So this is a new revelation, right? In the Old Testament, if you wouldn't have walked up to them, I'd be sitting there with Isaiah, and I'd be like, so explain to me Chalcedon and the definition of what the Trinity is. And Isaiah would be like, you're crazy. Like a triune God? Could you imagine trying to explain to an Old Testament prophet the triune God? What they're dealing with here, what Jesus is trying to get them is to move beyond the types and shadows. Jesus is here. Jesus is not who you think he is, and he has a new revelation for you. But, he, but the, the disciples aren't ready for new revelation. They don't even understand the old revelation. And this is what we're like. We want the next thing. Give me the new book. Give me the new Bible study. Give me the new thing that's going to you know, make my apathy go away. Give me new revelation. I'm like, uh... I love you guys, but I don't think you understand the old revelation. The one you right, the thing you've already heard that you're not doing. Why would I give you more things? Why would right? Why would we sit down and explain deeper, further up, further in stuff when you're not doing the stuff now that you've heard? That that would be my reaction. Well, Jesus is a much more gracious and loving <laughs> loving person than I am. Because I'd be like, why are you telling them new things? They don't get the old things, man. Just But Jesus has a plan. He knows what he's doing. He's giving them new revelation. In Exodus, it says this in chapter 13, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Sounds familiar? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very uh, loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And we learn from Nehemiah and Haggai that this cloud is actually the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And what was hovering there? A, cl- a cloud, a spirit, this mist. Israel comes out of Egypt. What's leading them? Well, the Lord's leading them. And they didn't understand at the time which member, which person of the Trinity it was that's leading them. The, thir- the, the cloud is the third person of the Trinity. Peter wants to make tents, not realizing that he is the tent. He's the tent. We don't need to make tents, Peter. I brought tents. You're the tent. Right? But this is just a taste. This isn't... Mm. I haven't, there's things I still have to go and do. And once I go do them, you are going to be the tent. But he can't think of that. He can't think of new. He can't, he's befuddled by what he's, by what God is trying to do. He's hard-hearted. He's hard-minded. He's hard-eyed. He sees, but he just doesn't get what he's looking at. Now this voice comes. <laughs> and who's the voice? Well, just like the baptism of Jesus, it's the Father. And what does the Father say? The Father has been listening to the whole conversation up to this point, and and Peter doesn't want to listen to Jesus. He wants to rebuke Jesus. And so the Father comes, and he says, listen to him. Well, why do we got to listen to him? He's from Nazareth. There's Moses, right? Let's make tense here. This is 
We've got Moses back. We've got Elijah back. This is why you took him up to heaven, isn't it? To send him back so we could have him now. Um, eyes over here. The glowing one. The one who's glowing. He's glowing. What? <laughs> right? And isn't that us? Isn't that us? There's Jesus in our midst, and we're distracted by all the stuff that's around there, all the types, all the shadows, all the things that are pointing to him. We're just like, man, this is a really nice arrow. I love arrows. We're just going to take all the arrows home. We're going to worship the arrows. We love things that point to Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18.15, this is what it says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. These are one of those moments where God's like, here, let me get the chapter and verse, and let me go and do exactly the thing that it says. I've raised up a brother from amongst you. Listen to him. He's greater than Moses. Okay, uh, this is weird. And, he, and they're just befuddled in their ignorance. Moses is a prototype of the eschatological prophet whom Jesus is the antitype. The tabernacle is the prototype of the body of Christ, the church. The triune God is revealed in the person and work of Jesus. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Long ago, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The guy from Nazareth? After making pure... Oh, oh yeah, this part. We always forget this part. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Oh, there was something he had to do before he could just go up and live on the mountain. Stop with the tents, Peter. Stop. We have things we have to go do. We're here for, for simply a revelation of the glory to strengthen us to go down now on the thing that I was talking about before, which is losing. They don't do it, but imagine, if you're, a sport, if you're an athlete on that day, the day of the Super Bowl, and they come and they put the trophy in your hands, and they're like, here, I'm not going to make you wait. Just hold it. Lift it up. Here, this is the ring you're going to get that's worth $30,000. Just hold those for a moment. Okay, now go play a football game. Now imagine on such a pathetic scale how much that would, right? Be like, man, I had it in my hands. Now I'm going to just go and make it a reality. This, this, this is just a glimpse of the glory that's coming because what's coming is very, very difficult. And if God didn't do it this way, who could stand? If he just said, hey, yeah, go on the way of the cross, I'll, I'll catch up with you at the end. We would make it even, for, like, even less far than we do now. But if you're, if you're, crawling, <laughs> you're crawling along in desperation, whew, and you see the oasis right there, oh, just ten, 10 more feet, 10 more feet, just make it to the oasis. Oh, man, it's cool in here. There's water. It's nice. There's a table set in the midst of my enemies. I can hear them. But they can't touch me right now because I'm with Jesus, being refreshed. He says, okay, well, this was fun. Thank you for coming. 
I'm now commissioning you to go back on the path. And you're standing there in the oasis and you see the path and there's another oasis and it looks far away. He's like, well, uh, let's go. Because he doesn't say, hey, I'll see you on the other side. He says, let's go. And that is what this is all about. Stop looking to the past. Look to the present and the person who's with you in the present. Because he says, yes, we are going to go lose. We are going to go lose. The one that looks like a white hot sun says, let's go and lose. He gives you the trophy now. He says, here, have my spirit now. Have my presence now. Have the glory now. Let's go. But we see the trailer, and we think it's the movie. We take a little taste, and we think it's the wedding feast of the lamb. We're like, no, no, no. I'm with Peter. This is pretty sweet. Let's just live here. Let's just do this. And suddenly, verse 8, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Again, could, G- could God the Father put a bigger arrow on this? All the dazzle is gone. The prophets are gone. The smoke is gone. The voice is gone. And who is alone? Jesus only stood there with them. It's just Jesus. Yeah, he's not much to look at, right, in this earthly form. This is what we're left with? Where's the prophets? Where's the, where's the bling? Where's the shazam? Where's the ritz? And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is what he tells them. That, that that you just saw, stop talking about it. Don't mention it to anybody until after I've risen from the dead. And they're like, bo, 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 bo. did you just see yourself? I don't think anyone can kill you. You're, you, you looked like a brand new son on the day it was born. I don't think anybody's going to kill you, Jesus. Why are you talking about that again? So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Right? He was here, but he's gone. I thought he was going to come with us. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and, and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. John came in the spirit of Elijah, and they did whatever they wanted to. Whatever they wanted to. That's how they treated him. And do you think there's any other way? He's my servant, and do you think I'm not going to have to go the way he goes? The, the, I mean, what, what is revealed here is, is the key. This is the last time he tells them to be quiet. And what is revealed at the moment is why all along he's been telling them to be quiet, because they don't get it. He's like, please, you guys, in your ignorance, don't say anything, right? Loose lips sink ships, baby. You're going to go out there and you're going to cause me a lot of trouble because you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because the messianic secret is, has, has, has got to remain a secret until he fulfills all things. Having seen Moses and Elijah, the disciples think only of the end of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They do. This is what, because Malachi is at the end of the Greek Old Testament, the translation of it. 
And this is literally how it ends. This is how it ends. <laughs> 500 years, it's been quiet. Everybody's waiting for somebody to say something out of heaven. This is the last thing that God had to say at the end. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Well, Peter's like, okay, cool. Look at this. We got Elijah. We got Moses. We got the white hot sun over here. It's like, what else is there left? There's nothing left. This is as good as it gets, baby. And this is the point, right? How far have they descended in humiliation? Not that far. And the glory to which Christ is raised, the glory to which the Father lifts those who are humiliated, is in equal proportion to how far down they go. Wait, haven't I suffered enough? Haven't I served enough? Haven't I been through enough? Right? Let's bring the crown now, God. What are you waiting for? And he's like, no, you guys... I have so much more glory for you. I have so much glory waiting for you that you can't possibly imagine it, and you haven't yet gone low enough. You haven't gone low enough. That's what Jesus is dealing with. He's up on the mountain. He has all this glory, but he hasn't yet descended far enough. Jesus alone remains because he alone reveals the triune God. He alone is the way up to the top of Mount Zion, the real mountain. They have forgotten key pieces of their history. See, in in the Old Testament, it's Moses and Solomon go up on, are taken into heaven, and they're shown a temple there. And they they get out their big crayon. They're like, okay, let me see if I can draw that. And they come down and they build the tabernacle and the temple. And what had happened all this time is that everybody had forgotten that the things that they built on the earth were just shadows of the reality. Shadows of the reality. There is a higher mountain. There is a, the, the true temple. There is higher glory. And what it requires is humility. What it requires is humiliation. What it requires is going down. They, they have, um, you, you can't just go with the end of Malachi, right? Let's look at the whole last chapter of Malachi for a second. Don't worry, it's not long. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. A white hot sun. You shall go out leaping like calves from their stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Remember the words of Moses. Elijah is coming before the day of the Lord, the day the Lord will burn the false kingdoms of men to the ground, even Israel, if it remains a harlot. But the faithful, 
The faithful will be transformed by the fire of heaven to become a consuming blaze in this world, a mighty light of refining fire. That is the light, right? Age to age to age. What is that burning bright oasis as in the wilderness of the world? It's the church. Remember the law of Moses. Remember the law of Moses. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says this, Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The law reveals that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We open the Torah, and what do we read? We read the law. The law shows us that no one can attain to the glory of God. No one can get to Mount Zion. All of us, Jew and Greek, fall short of the standard of holiness, this holiness that led Israel out of Egypt, this holiness that spoke from amidst a cloud causing Israel to tremble. But the Jews were justifying themselves. What has Jesus been doing up until this point? They have been justifying themselves as righteous because they were keeping their man-made traditions that they had exchanged for the law. Sins? We're not sinners. Those people are sinners. They don't even understand what the law is for. And Israel has been doing this generation after generation after generation. They have not remembered the law of Moses. And so what comes next is a consuming fire. All the prophets' warnings couldn't get them to see it. The law was supposed to fill their mouths with cries for mercy. The constant shedding of animal blood was supposed to show them that no blood on earth can save them from their sins. Nothing on this planet can dye your clothes as white as heaven. Nothing. And where do you learn it? The law. You go to the law and you think, my goodness, there is no hope for anybody. And what do they do? They get the holiness code and they think it's the holiness itself. They get the transfiguration and they think it's the resurrection. They think it's the triumph of all things. They want the crown without the cross. Right? Heaven comes down out of heaven, heaven comes down to help them along the way and they want to just live there. They just want to camp there. I don't want to go any further. I don't want to die anymore. I don't want to sacrifice anything else. I just want to live here. This little piece of heaven that came down to me and they're like, what? God comes and says, no, further, go further, go further down. You have not yet reached the point where, <laughs> where I'm going to, ex you can't even imagine how high I'm going to lift you. So God the Father sent John the Baptist. All right, this is it. This is Elijah. The day is coming. Fire is coming out of heaven. So he sends John in the spirit of Elijah to declare the coming of the one who would baptize them in spirit and in fire, and they chopped off his head to please a pole dancer. They played the whore for the sake of a whore. And what comes next? A blaze comes next. And this is what we have to understand. This is what the story is about. There is fire that comes out of, out of heaven. And it does one of two. It's a crucible that transforms you into the gold that at the end they will use to make the Lord's crown out of. Right? Or you reject everything about God. You're satisfied with things of this earth. You do not deny yourself. You don't take up a cross. You're all self-centered. And then what happens is there's this fire that comes out and lives inside you and eats away the joy of your life. And it begins now. I mean, this is what the resurrection sermon on Easter was about. 
C.S. Lewis said you're, you're, you're going one of two ways. You're in the crucible being purified or you're already burning inside of yourself and what you're going to find in the end is eternal hellfire. There is fire coming out of heaven and it does one of two things. It cleanses you or it just deals with you outside in the darkness far away from the presence of the Lord. Well, Mike, that's intense. <laughs> well, here we are. Do you know where you are? Do you know what you're doing right now? Do you know who you're with? Do you? I hardly do. I hardly do. But this is where you have come. Right? We think the transfiguration is something. This is where you are right now. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When you come to this service, it's a transfiguration. When you come to the service, it's a shot in the arm of holiness. It's, it, it's the glory of heaven is revealed. And the point is so like Jesus, you're sitting there and you're getting encouraged. Yeah, do that. Don't do that. Okay, I repent of that. Listening, singing, responding, interacting, filling up. And then you're like, okay, now I am ready for the other half of the Christian life, which is the way of the cross. We come here and we think this hour on Sunday morning is the Christian life. This is where the word of God dwells. This is where singing dwells. This is where the people of God dwell. And so it's been a long week. I'm going to head on down and I'm going to get me some piece of heaven. And we don't understand that it's just a meal. Right? I, when I go on a road trip, the first stop I make is the grocery store so I can take food on the way. It's amazing how much jerky and coke one man can consume between here and Moscow, Idaho. But no sane person goes on a road trip without bringing something to snack on. Amen. <laughs> and God says, you know, you have to go out and you have to renounce yourself and take up a cross and follow me and you're going to need something for the road. And this is where we really... It's post-Pentecost. It's not a taste it's not just a little tiny, oh, get a little bread. Is that what he's talking about? No. That glory that they saw on that mountain, you are the tabernacle of the Lord. Yeah, you come here and you learn. You learn. He calls you. You respond to him. He gives you his word. You respond to him. You sing to him. You fellowship with the people of God. And what this is supposed to do is show you how you're supposed to live every day of your life. We just want to make tents and live here, but this is the thing that prepares us to go out and be tabernacles in the world. The glory of the Lord leaves here 
because it doesn't reside in one place. It resides in you. And so when you open the word of God, when you open the hymnal, when you bow your head and clasp your hands, when you serve one another, that, that's the presence of the Lord going into a dark wilderness-like world out there. You don't need tents to live here. You are the tents. Take it with you. And what you have to do is remember what it is you're taking with you. If we just understood, even a little bit, even a little bit, right? It's it's hard out there. Renouncing yourself, confessing sins, addressing sins, that's hard. And this isn't, this isn't in a place of escape. This is where you learn how to do it. This is why you, you, get, you get to come here and you're like, man, we've already got the trophy. We've already got the ring. I can go out there and I, me, it doesn't matter because I'm with the white hot sun is going with me. The glory of the Lord is going with me. And if we understood that, we would live differently, wouldn't we? Don't just come here and make this hour of your life the Christian life, because that's not it. And if you're not feeling the fullness of the Lord, that's why. Because you go for the transfiguration so that on the way of the cross, it's easier. On the way of the cross, you can do it, because the one who goes with you is the one working in you. And may we all understand this, even a little bit, and we rejoice in it and draw strength from it and imitate it every day of the week. And Father God, we thank you so much for the service. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you will complete what you have started in us, that you will not leave us to ourselves, that you, in fact, have not sent us into the wilderness alone. You go there with us. And, we, and we, I pray, Lord God, that as the week goes, that we would take up our Bibles, that we would kneel in prayer, that we would sing, that we would seek out fellowship, that we would look to the mountains of Jerusalem where our help comes from. We thank you, Lord God, that you are here with us and that you go with us. And may we, Lord, please taste and see. May we be renewed. May we be capable, capable on some level to comprehend even better the glory, the glory that you have poured out upon us. And amen.